I'm trying to find a lap chart, Tom, for the last five laps of the race. Because it looked like some kid had got a whole load of crowns and just scribbled all over them. <laughs> it basically, everything's going along smoothly, and then suddenly people come from, they suddenly jump 20 places on the you, grid. You won't find one in thing. the race. Everyone will have ripped up any lap chart that was anywhere near them, I think. Did you notice Vettel? There was one, at one point, Stroll got ahead of Vettel, and then Vettel got back in, within the space of a corner. And that was when he collided with um, Stroll. And I was actually look at the the timing thing on the left hand side, and Vettel goes ahead of Stroll, and then he goes back behind Stroll, and within a space of um, sort of one second, it was a lot of interesting stuff going on, wasn't it? Well, that in a nutshell sums up the 2021 Russian Grand Prix, doesn't it? And they told us it was going to be boring. Not a bit of it. Russia doesn't produce good races, they said. Yes, my goodness. They obviously haven't been introduced to Formula One in 2021. But you brought your spa rain with you, didn't you? Yeah, by the way, Damon kept blaming me for the rain, you know. He's like, I'm not coming to a race with you again for a while. You just keep bringing the rain. I was like, charming. (laughs) But isn't it funny how all of what we might traditionally call the boring races have been really good this year? Barcelona decided right at the end. Uh, Paul Ricard decided right at the end. And of course, Sochi decided. I mean, that is, as you say, Pinks. But, but, you know, Sochi was fascinating before we even got to the end. I mean, quality was exceptional. Going into the race, you knew there were so many cars out of position. It was, it was set up brilliantly to entertain. But who could have predicted those final three laps? Utter madness. So painful to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, agony. Triumph and disaster. The two imposters. They struck again. (laughs) And on that note... Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with Tom Clarkson, Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham. And you can see just how slippy it is for both Norris and for Hamilton. Norris hasn't got as much experience in this sort of situation. Hamilton has. Now what's going to win out? And it's now just four seconds between Norris and Hamilton. Verstappen could finish P2 here. And Hamilton takes the lead of the race as Lando Norris slides off the track. Hamilton is going to get 100. He came into this race as a gladiator. He finds the chequered flag as a centurion. Lewis Hamilton, it's 100 race victories. He wins the Russian Grand Prix and he retakes the championship lead. Get in there, Lewis. That's it, mate. That's the 100. Yeah, well reacted at the end there, Lewis. Beautiful drive, mate. Great effort, guys. That was hard work. So who had the best weekend, do we think? Was it Lewis getting his 100th win? Was it Lando Norris proving that he really is the real deal? Or was it Max Verstappen who who came away with not only another new engine in his pool, but with second place? I don't think Lando's going to leave there saying that was his yeah. best weekend. I think he's going to absolutely position agony. dominated the race. Oh, come on. Mm, I, I think he's left, he's left a marker, hasn't he? I mean, if you go back to when Lewis nearly won in China... And he stayed out and ended up in the gravel because he's having got any tread left on his rear yeah, tire. Two thousand seven. That was going to be his first win, wasn't it? No, that was that was going to be his first championship, wasn't it? He'd already won in Montreal. Do you remember? Oh, I see. Yes. No, that was going to be his first. That was right. So he basically a similar situation, same team, and they blamed Lewis for staying out too long. Well, actually, the team really should have given him more guidance because his experience was was low then. And then on the the other foot, you have. 
well, in a similar, completely similar situation, you've got um, Landon Norris going for his first win in very similar conditions and overriding the instructions from the, the engineer uh, who said, come in, shut up. That's it, he said. Lando, what do you think about it, Inter? What do you think about it, in Inter? No! If only, if only he'll be thinking that, won't he? He'll be going, damn. Damon, let's not forget, Lewis Hamilton overrided his engineers as well. And it's only because Mercedes had pitted Bottas first of everybody for intermediates. And they'd seen the times he'd done that they then overruled him. But Lewis's first instinct was to stay out. There's a flurry of guys that came in about lap 49 or something around there, wasn't there? There was a whole bunch of them came in at one, in one go and Max was one of them. So they all had one lap on, on Lewis and, and uh, Lando. Lewis didn't want to come in. He was reluctant to come in because he could see what Lando was doing. And that's such a difficult thing if you're leading a race to decide, I'm going to surrender the lead of this race because I think that it's going to be too wet for slicks in a, in a lap. Or two. You can't, I mean, ask yourself, do you think you'd like to press on and hope it's going to, you know, not going to rain hard. I mean, how, who, who knew, really knew, it was going to rain harder and harder? Mercedes will say they did. Lando is basically saying that McLaren didn't know that they knew it was going to rain that much harder. So he gambled and sadly it went the wrong way. There have been precedents, both good and bad here, haven't they? And I'm inviting the listeners to try and remember an instance where a driver staying out won him the race. And there's one that springs to mind very evidently for me, and that is Hockenheim 2000, Rubens Barrichello's first win in a Ferrari, Ross Braun on the pit wall, the master strategist calls him in, Rubens ignores him, says, I'm all right on slicks out here, the rain is coming down, we've got five laps to go, and Rubens, by staying out, won the race. So it does work that way. And that is what Lando was hoping was going to happen. Well, remember, Tom, that's, that's pretty impressive. I was going to say Donington because Senna won that race in changeable conditions. They were ridiculously changeable conditions. Nobody could predict whether it was going to be too, too wet or too dry. And more often than not, he stayed out on the slick tyres um, when it was time to, to change to wets. And everyone else bottled it, me and Prost included. Damon, that's Donington 93, of course, the European Grand Prix. Um, how many pit stops did you make in that race? About 12, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. It was ridiculous. It was a world record. I think it still stands as a world record for pit stops in any race. We were going in and out, in and out. <laughs> there was no information in those days as to what the weather was doing. You know, you look up at the clouds and go, it's raining. Well, to be honest, I think that was probably a better bet on Sunday as well. Some people had a better view of what was coming from the sea, didn't they? Probably the cameraman in that crane, poor bloke. There was a shot, wasn't there, towards the end of the, the race where you could see this stuff coming. But when is it going to arrive? Is it going to arrive in three laps, two laps, one lap? Nobody knew that. And it was Spa-esque, wasn't it? Because for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, only half the lap was wet and the rest of it was dry. So while they were skidding around through turns five, six, seven, Lando was then able to get some heat back in the tyres at the back end of the lap. And I think that sort of... He had this sort of full sense of security. I can make this work because only, only half the lap is, is wet, it, like we so often saw at Spa, but it, it just got worse. And do you know what? I hope they're not, to, you know, when they have their debrief this week at McLaren and they say, what else could we have done? Well, in fact, uh, Nat, didn't Andreas Seidel say to you, didn't he talk about some WhatsApp group for, for hindsight or something? And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? And I think 
it is what it is on the day. It could easily have gone the other way and it didn't. You just, you, you got to roll the dice sometime. Absolutely. And I think you do have to be philosophical about these things. And I'm hoping that Lando's been able to get some sleep last night. And as the week progresses, as we edge nearer to Turkey, he is able to take the positives of which there were plenty, as you say, from this weekend. I mean, he had an exceptional weekend it was just that frustration at the end. I thought he looked really pale at the end. It was almost like he was in shock when he was in the pen. It was There was a sort of lovely interaction between them where Lewis was trying to offer him some crumbs of comfort, but that's easy to do when you've just won your 100th Grand Prix. Yeah, it was just an interesting juxtaposition, wasn't it, between the man going for his 100th and the man going for his first, the agony and the ecstasy in those few moments and you know that, that fickle mistress that is the weather. And, but Natalie, the day before, it was completely the Absolutely. other way around. It was Lewis had egg all over his face because he didn't. They didn't come in and put slicks on soon enough, and Lando had put the slicks on soon enough, as had George and uh, and Carlos. You know, and so that's the margins you're dealing with uh, at that level. And sometimes it is just so fine, and the consequences are so huge that you know you can look like you're a genius if you you know make one decision or the other. And the and the other the other alternative, you look like an absolute plonker. And 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 actually, that goes to show that with a hundred Grand Prix wins under your belt, sometimes it is just a roll of the dice. It is just luck. Some will say, "Well, Lando will know for next time." But you know, will we get a next time? You know, with that level of detail, you know, lap 50, lap 51. I mean, it's just, it was excruciating to watch, I have to say. But I do hope that he will be able to put this down to experience, learn from it in whatever capacity he can. I'm not sure. The guy of the weekend, the star of the weekend was Landon Norris. He didn't win the race. He got pole position, but he drove absolutely magnificently under quite a lot of pressure from um, a world champion, eight, seven times world champion behind him. You know, and under, and also with Carlos as well. And, you know, he had a lot to deal with. And I loved it when they came on the radio and said, um, how much you know, pace have you got in these tyres? He said, well, what do you want? I can give you whatever you like. You know, he was very cool on the radio. I know he got a bit shirty at the end. Until the end. <laughs> but that's because he didn't want to be talked to when he's trying to concentrate and driving and slicks in the wet. But um, you can understand that. But I think he was a star. He missed out in Monza. You know, Daniel stole the show there. Um, and I think that Lando probably felt slightly aggrieved that, you know, he'd done so well all season. It wasn't him to win the race. And there he was leading in Russia and sadly didn't quite get to the line. But he's made his mark, hasn't he? I mean, he really has shown what he's capable of. Absolutely. There was quite a telling remark by Lewis Hamilton after the race. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he said Lando is doing a great job of leading McLaren. I thought that was quite telling bit dismissive of Daniel perhaps but leading McLaren and it's extraordinary how I think Lando has come on in leaps and bounds this year and McLaren must be very relieved that they signed their long-term deal with him just before Monaco because I think he'd be a load more expensive now than he was only three four months ago absolutely and if you were to say to him at the beginning of the season you're going to not just be driving alongside Daniel Ricciardo but out qualifying him and by the way you're going to get a pole position handful of podiums and be chasing a win in a McLaren I mean he would have leapt at that opportunity wouldn't he it's just in the heat of the moment though it's just all too much to probably process and Pinks when he was leading Lewis Hamilton in the dry on Sunday I never doubted him 
he just is so confident and so mistake free that I thought he, yeah, he can deal with the pressure of having Lewis breathing down his neck. And you don't say that about every driver. Certainly not. It's taken us a long time to get that 100. But so grateful for all of you, for all the work back in the factory and here. Thanks so much for not giving up on me. One hundred not out. I mean, that is such an impressive tally, isn't it? One hundred Grand Prix wins. Most drivers just dream of seeing the checkered flag a hundred times, but to win a hundred times, it's astonishing. And I can't see it being matched anytime soon. What do you think, Damon? Well, it's phenomenal. I mean, just mind blowing, really. I can remember going up to Lewis when he beat my twenty-two. Um, Grand Prix victories in the paddock. He was walking across, but I said, oh, Lewis, well done. You just passed me in the <laughs> Grand Prix winning state. And he said, oh, have I really? <laughs> it was like, it was like a very minor milestone that he's passed there, but that was a long while back. A friend said to me earlier, what is the difference between win number 99 and win number 100? Because when you've won that many, it's just another one, isn't it? But you've only got to look at how emotional Lewis was after the race to realise that it it was hugely significant and it had been weighing on his mind for quite a long time. I mean, it's Silverstone was the last time he won. Yes, well, he stalled, didn't he? You know, we all had it teed up or he's going to win it eventually. And of course, there was a long delay. It didn't quite happen all these occasions. Of course, Monza crashes and, and other um, mishaps. And so, you know, get to the point where you think, is this ever going to happen? And also when you've got things like crashing into the pit wall, throwing it, everyone starts going, is he starting to... <laughs> is this the beginning of the downward uh, trajectory? Well, not a, not a bit of it. I mean, not only crashing into the pit wall, but Damon, the previous day, do you remember he'd slightly misjudged coming into his pit box and he didn't want to be the front jack man at that particular moment, did you? Well, this is the thing. We've witnessed him making some uncharacteristic, unforced errors. And, you know, with all the confidence in the world, there's part of you that's going to start questioning yourself. And you you can see all these young guns just coming through the ranks, hungry, ambitious drivers uh, who are 10, 15 years younger than you. You're thinking, goodness me, it's now or never. I, I've got to get this done. And yes, I agree that the emotion was was massive this weekend. And you realise that it's because it's not easy. And, you know, he's been challenged in a way that he hasn't before. And every year that goes past, those challenges become slightly nuanced, slightly different. And therefore to win is, is a huge achievement. They knew they had to win though, didn't they? They, they knew they had to win this one. With Max at the back, they were under pressure in some ways. The only thing they could do is win the race. Yeah, but it didn't look like that on Saturday, did it? I mean, you really thought... No, it, it looked they shaky. They really stuffed it in quali. And you thought, God, this was an open goal for them. Such a massive opportunity to capitalise on Red Bull's woes. He thought they've gone and blown it. And then to come back and finish first and fifth was actually incredible. Well, Pink's actually, for half of the race, I was still thinking what you've just described. It, Lewis, he dropped back to seventh, I think, at the start. Yeah. And then Baltimore was just down sort of in 14th. stuck. A, 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 it was a, a blocking masterclass by Daniel Ricciardo early on in the race. Just there was nothing that Lewis could do to get by him. So he was biding his time. And I was thinking, OK, obviously we weren't predicting the rain. I was thinking, Lewis, you're going to have to start making a move at some point. When's it going to come? At one point, Max was only about five seconds behind him. And, and, you know, you're starting to think, oh, Lewis is in the wars here. You know, he's he's blocked in. He can't go anywhere. And, and but. 
he's he has learned incredible patience as a driver and he knows that he just has to bide out the first stint and and then he puts his hammer time to the metal and off he goes and and there was a, a point where i just thought blimey if they pit now you know max is going to be coming out just you know five seconds behind him but that's five seconds suddenly turned once once lewis got clear air that five seconds suddenly turned into 20 seconds and uh, you know he was back on track do you know what i think you're spot on about the patience point because uh, and that first stint you're thinking that this is miles off and and yet when you reach the checkered flag who even remembers what happened in the first stint it was a completely different story the race from the beginning to the very end and that's why it was so compelling but it's all that mattered is is where you were when that checkered flag fell and hamilton was just brilliant i mean not, not everything else went out the window quali the mistakes on saturday all these issues that he had and the niggles from uh, monza were just forgotten we had the return of Toto on the radio. Come on, come on, Lewis, you can do this. That's I a wonder... very bad impression. <laughs> Toto, that's what he sounds like to me. Well, I actually think he sounded quite surprised in that moment. We can actually win this, Lewis. But Matt, why do you think he suddenly feels the need to get involved? Does that make any difference to Lewis? The come on, Lewis, we can win it? Oh. Well, you all need to be G'd up now and again don't we and actually maybe it's just an involuntary reaction over team radio i think i would do it <laughs> you can be able to shut me up like shut up i i think it's something else i think that is you know lewis is such a heart on sleeve guy you know and i took a picture of him walking back after the crashing into the world. and i'm i'm guarantee you you know he went back to the debrief room and sat there and and was glum and embarrassed and all those things and he and he has to kind of pick himself up and maybe the team help him do that um but not not saying he needs it but i'm saying he's someone who feeds who picks up on positive energy and encouragement and stuff and i think that and i think mercedes yes, give I him agree. that and uh, the, the cool uh, information they give him you know with um Shovelin and co and you know on the radio and bonnington you know just they they give him support and he believes in them and he and he delivers for them so when they say we need some of your special laps he goes okay i can do that and he is a phenomenon that's a word that is banded about but 100 grand priest you don't do that by we've talked about luck he's had some luck he's had some bad luck but the average is that he's a cut above nearly everybody and you know, you can't put it in the context of history going back over, you know, generations because maybe Jim Clark was that good. I don't know. But um, different times and, and and their longevity is better these days, thankfully, because it's safer. But my God, 100 Grand Prix victories. On the topic of longevity, I remember you telling me years ago, Damon, that what really stood out about Michael Schumacher was the fact that he could do it year after year after year. And not everyone can do that. You know, other people could turn a lap as fast as Michael Schumacher. Of course they could. But they couldn't do it year after year. And, and, yeah, and Lewis is another, isn't he? It's the standard that they perform at and the consistency and the ability they have to keep delivering that over years it is the remarkable thing. But I think what Lewis has done is he's created space for himself where he can get away from Formula One. Because if it's all about Formula One, you can get burned out. And he doesn't look burned out. To me, he looks like he's fresh as a daisy. You know, but I, there were times when, when Michael was in tears, you know, with the pressure. And, and then if you've, you've seen the 
uh, Michael Schumacher documentary recently, he does reveal the pressures that he was under and the responsibility he felt. And, and, I, and you know, it is draining, but you need to have a balance in your life. And, and Lewis has fought hard to give himself and, and Mercedes and Toto have given him that space. You know, they haven't overworked him. They haven't used up all his free time. He goes and recharges his batteries, comes back and he's ready to go again. He even made that point after the race, actually. Someone said to him, uh, what did you do uh, during the summer break? It seems like you've come back stronger. And he said, well, I didn't think about Formula One. Didn't say what he did do, but he didn't think about Formula One. And how useful is that as a driver, Damon, just to entirely switch off? I think it's really crucial. In fact, one of my best performances, I think, was Spa in 98. And it is no coincidence it happened just after the summer holidays you know, after the summer break. And I'd been out splashing around in Spain on a, on a wave runner and, you know, having fun, just came back refreshed. And, uh, and I, my driving was much better for some reason. I jumped in the car and it was, it was like I was enjoying doing what I was doing. And yeah, I think that's really important. You've got to enjoy it. You've got to look forward to it. And maybe removing yourself from it sometimes it increases your desire to get back in and do it again. And also not overthink it. Because I definitely think some drivers can be guilty of that. Max Verstappen, I think, is one that just does seem to take it in his stride. I mean, I thought he had an unbelievable weekend where he was kind of like his his story was almost lost as a subplot with everything else that was going on. But he came from the back to second. Pinks, he said after the race, he said, if I hadn't had the engine penalty and it had just been a normal weekend, I would have been really pleased with second. So to have done it from the back and got another power unit in the pool, it's like it's all his Christmases came at once, didn't they? I mean, it was an interesting situation where you had both title contenders bouncing out of Sochi with uh, renewed vigour and excitement about this championship. You know, it's a, it's a rare thing, isn't it, when both of them leave happy? I mean, anybody who says a lot of people do this, it's, it's just the car, isn't it? Well, um, let's have a look at where Perez and Valtteri Bottas finished, shall we? Because Max Verstappen started behind all of them and still came second. It just, it just proves the point, doesn't it, that these guys are exceptional. It must be quite demoralising when you go back and, and look at the fact that you started ahead of them on the grid and then suddenly they're on the podium. Admittedly, there was the fudge factor at the end with the rain, but you still have to have your wits about you and make the right decision. And they did that. Well, absolutely. It was those who responded and reacted best under that immense pressure of the weather changing. I do think that Lando was under another level of pressure from everyone else. It, as you say, to forgo your lead is the hardest decision to make. For the others, you know, oh, it feels a bit sketchy out here. Let's go in for Inters. It's just a different decision for Lando to make. But yeah, in that moment, Verstappen pitted at exactly the right time and went from seventh to second in just one lap. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Did you catch up with Christian Horner after the race? Yeah. What was it? I imagine one of the happiest men in the pit lane. Yeah, I mean, he said he was treating it like a win. I mean, as far as they were concerned, this was an incredible result because they went into both Monza and Sochi, both Mercedes strongholds, assuming these are going to be our worst performing tracks. And we're about to go into a run of arguably tracks that are more suited to Red Bull. So look, they're in a good place right now. You have to. You can understand why in um, ancient times people believed there were kind of gods that favoured certain sides uh, in battle. Because I mean, he he's definitely been charmed these last few races. I know there was a very controversial thing in in Monza, but the net result was one race went past and he was supposed to lose out to to Lewis and he didn't. 
And then this race, he was supposed to lose a whole chunk and he didn't. You know, so you're right. Christian came up and said it's like a victory. And uh, they, are mi- they are mighty relieved, I think. But some you win, some you lose, don't you? And um, I mean, let's think back to Baku. He was going to win that race, wasn't he? That was points taken away from him. Yeah, it was point, but it was also Lewis's, you know, or Mercedes' screw up that, that didn't capitalise on that mistake as well. That's what I'm saying. You know, if you look back over the season, it's like, what does it point towards? It points towards the luck being more with Max, I think, than it is with Lewis. These things can change, of course, but I, I think that um, we shall see. I mean, you'll, I'm sure that people will say, what about Silverstone? You know, that was lucky for Lewis because he carried on. But, um, you know, it's so finely balanced. This is another interesting twist, though. I mean, were it not for Silverstone, Max wouldn't have taken the engine penalty. He's ultimately finished second in Sochi with that penalty, but he's now bolstered by a new power unit and the the extra boost that that brings. So it's just it's just such a... A fascinating roller. You don't like the word fascinating, do you, Damon? Do you know this, Tom? You know, he doesn't like it, though. He doesn't like it. He says I use it too much. I, I think it's a great word. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating word. But this is a fascinating it's, discussion. It's, a, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 we've got to find another word. But anyway, amazing is another good one. But we've had this amazing, fascinating battle. And what about Mercedes's power unit? Because Ooh, that looks fragile. I mean, how many of those came out and were changed uh, in recently? And also, Will Lewis... Need one. Well, let's work it out. So Vettel, Ricardo, Latifi, Bottas, twice. Guys, that is exactly what I was going to say next. You, you read my mind because I, what does that say about well, Mercedes' reliability? Thing. Neither of these guys can afford a DNF in these next seven races because that, you know, we're now too close to the business end. You may never get that back. So, yeah, and, and this is Bottas's new Monza power unit that was playing up in, in, in Russia. That's the one. So I appreciate everyone is now pushing very, very hard because they've got to homologate the engines prior to next year. So you're, you're pushing every area of it before you nail down exactly what you're going to do. But they've got to be really, really careful that they don't compromise Lewis. Lewis's championship with that. Why do they call it a tactical uh, decision? I mean, that was a kind of a little bit of uh, a naughtiness, wasn't it? I mean, you know, because obviously immediately people assumed that he was that he was going to drop back. But actually, he he took a minimum amount of grid places, didn't he? Because he didn't go all the way to the back of the grid. He, he only ended up, ended up, was it 16th on the grid? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was tactical. Uh, yeah, tactical because they wanted to hold Max Verstappen up was that it was the first reaction, wasn't it? But I think it was also tactical from a we need to work out where we're going with the power unit going forward. And perhaps something that they'd introduced on Bottas's engine in Monza wasn't performing as they'd hoped and they needed to change it. You could never accuse Valtteri of holding up Max Verstappen. I mean, it was almost like uh, he got out of his way when he went past. But um, I'm sure the Mercedes would have preferred a little bit more of a, uh, a tussle. But And we said that after Zandvoort as well, didn't we? Although that Red Bull did look very, very good into turn 13. I mean, even, it, I'm going to say even Perez, but Perez made some really good overtakes into that corner as well. So I think the, uh, the old Red Bull was very good there. And of course, that's where Max overtook Valtteri. Should we just consider for a moment the competitiveness of this McLaren? Because they were nowhere in Zandvoort, obviously brilliant and winning on merit in Monza. They came into this weekend not really knowing where they stood. But as you pointed out already, Lando was able to hold Lewis back before the rain came. And 
Daniel finished in fourth, which was, you know, a place up from where he qualified. Having not been anywhere earlier in the weekend, obviously we lost the whole of Saturday's session, but he was down in sort of 17th, 18th after that power unit change. So I'm just wondering how truly competitive this McLaren is and whether Lando will indeed get that maiden win in 2021 you know, based on performance alone, what do you think? Yeah, I think it depends on the nature of the circuits. Um, you know, it's got its it's got its strong points and its uh, weaknesses, but um, you know, it's getting there in every respect. Gradually getting there as well in terms of tire management as well. I mean, on on pace at Sochi, you know, it was it was fantastic. I mean, uh, it was able to hold its own. You know, I think it's it's definitely right up there. Nipping on the heels, basically, of the Red Bull and, and the Mercedes, but not quite as good as them. Out and out better than Ferrari? Because it seems, I mean, look at signs up there in P3. Yes, I do think out and out better than Ferrari. Lewis was actually asked about the pace of the McLaren after the race. It was because he spent so long on Ricardo's gearbox. And he said two things. He said, one, it's very slippery in a straight line. Very, very fast. Good top speed. But he also said the traction is really good as well. So... That's probably why it was good at Monza as well, wasn't it? Coming out of the chicanes. Yeah, they've got something, haven't they? Because they get off the lines brilliantly as well. They get off the line at the start. So they get off the lines brilliantly. And I can't remember which turn it is at, at, at Sochi, but there's an off-camber slow corner. And it, it, getting the power down there, it was very good. So anywhere that's got long straights and slow corners that require good traction will be good for, for McLaren. So what's it going to be, guys? I'd go... Hmm. Mexico might be quite good or not? Yeah, Mexico's one. Be interested going to Qatar and Jeddah, not knowing anything about those circuits, not having any historical data to go on. Just be so interesting, won't it? Oh, and then the new Abu Dhabi as well. They've they've changed that quite a lot. Abu Dhabi is quite similar to Sochi, actually. But then you know we we did have a wet quality, so we got to, we kind of got to be a little bit careful. We don't just take Sochi as a, a model. But you know if you go to Brazil, it's tight corners, and you really need to get the power down out of those types of slower corners and, and accelerate up the hill. Um, so that's going to be possibly one of the one of the other circuits. I think we're talking ourselves into this. We think they can. <laughs> <laughs> Lando, you can do it. I'm sure Lando is as well. Bless him. He, he, he's sort of giving himself public pep talks at the moment, you know, posting things on social media like, head held high, my time will come. You know, you can just imagine he's just regurgitating everything that we and everyone else has said to him. This is this is going to be a, a week of growth for him, I'm sure, just to um, learn how to leverage all that frustration, use it to his advantage. Right, I want to put something to you two. Fernando Alonso, he said after the race it was one of his best races to sixth place. Um, did you see him going to the grid? He went straight through the runoff area at turn two on his way to the grid. He was just checking the lay of the land, checking the lay of the land, right? He then, <laughs> yeah. first lap of the race, remember they were sort of four wide going into that corner. Oh, Fernando yes. Break, he just, I mean, he sort of breaks, doesn't he? But he just disappears straight through. Uh, let's, I think, two cars through, Stroll and maybe was it Ricardo? But he definitely gained because he wasn't breaking as hard as everybody else into turn two. So uh, as a result, he was sort of further ahead going in into the runoff area than he otherwise would have been. So he definitely gained. And it seemed to be a bit of a gray area. And you just think, Fernando thinks of everything. He's such a... 
he's such a wily old sod, isn't he? He just, in fact, he said earlier in the year, I think it was in Spain, he said that he got really frustrated that there were people running through the runoff at turn one in Spain and they were gaining an advantage. So he, you know, applies that learning in Sochi. I mean, do we think that's fair? Fair's fair? What did they do about it? I mean, you know, he got away with it. You know, he's, he tried it on. He he dropped a few places. He gave a few places back. But uh, I remember Johnny saying to me when he saw he saw him do it in the race, he said he practiced that on the way to the grid, which is what you just said. So, you know, he's definitely thinking about it. You'd think that um, they would have said you can't do it deliberately. But if the rules are un- unclear. Exploit them. <laughs> he's taken advantage. I mean, first corner in the middle of the grid is where you lose your front wing, isn't it? You get pick at a puncture or you get a front wing or something like that. You know, you just, well, what's the point of doing all that? I'll just go straight across here. Do you know what, though? <laughs> I love his ambition and hunger at this stage of his career. I'd love to see how he'd fare in a Red Bull or a Mercedes because I think he's driving brilliantly at the moment. And when you consider that his teammate was down in 14th, I mean, Ocon obviously got that, that sort of shock win in Hungary, but it's difficult to know how good Fernando really is right now in an Alpine. I want to see him in one of the, the top cars to see how he'd get on. He hasn't lost it, has he? That's, you know, I think in, in terms of his acumen, it's still all there. You know, his understanding of the sport, it's still, under, it's still all there. He knows how to find advantages and deliver for, for the team. There's no sense that he's, you know, soft pedalling or nearing the end of his career or anything like that. He's hungry and he's a potent force. Always has been. I I'm a big fan of his. And prior to the, the the rain madness at the end, he was in a podium position and I really want him to finish on the podium. He is now the highest place guy in the championship without a podium this year. And I, I, just following on from what we're saying, I think he deserves, his performances deserve a podium. If When you look at the people who have scored podiums, he, he, need, he deserves to be up there. So a bit like where's Lando going to get his win? I'm also thinking, where is Fernando going to get his podium? It would be such a popular podium, wouldn't it? And you're right, he deserves it. He's sort of managing his own expectations, saying it's it's not going to come, the performance of this car alone. But as we've seen time and time again in 2021, uh, you just can't make predictions. And, you know, I, for one, am with you. I'd love to see it happen. Oh, I've been waiting a couple of weeks for this. I'm excited. It's Ask Damon time. Come on, ask me. Hi, Damon. Ashley here and Aussie Living in New York City. Absolutely love the show and super excited that F1 is finally hitting the States. My question is about next year with the new cars being introduced for the 2022 season and how you think it will affect the driver's performance. Given they are the creme de la creme of racing drivers, are we really expecting a big shift in, in how they all stack up? I mean, what do you think we can expect to see next year who will adapt and who will struggle. Um, thanks so much and hope to see you guys in Austin. Bye. Hi, Ashley in New York. Yeah, great that you're uh, an F1 fan and you're going to go to Austin by the sounds of it. I'm sadly not going to be there, but uh, I'm going to miss that one, which is going to be a shame. But what is going to happen next year with the new rules and everything? What can we expect? The intention is that cars will be able to follow more closely without being affected by a loss of grip because of the aerodynamics so the cars have been designed so that they can follow each other more closely and uh, clever people at f1 and engineers who work for f1 have been working in conjunction with the the teams to produce that effect within that 
they don't have a a very you know they don't have a formatted set of design regulations so there's scope within the regulations for teams to be inventive and what can happen traditionally is that the teams who have more resources come up with something really ingenious and the cars when they hit the track one one team has got a big advantage over everyone else now we're hoping that doesn't happen because as we've seen with this current regulation we're coming to the end of it and the the grid is tightened up because there's less and less room for the guys at the at the front with the resources to make more gains so the people are catching them up so we're hoping that doesn't happen for next year what we really are hoping is that when you see cars on track they can go wheel to wheel and get right up behind the car in front in a corner a bit better than they can currently when it comes down to wheel to wheel action you know the hot young drivers are as threatening and as capable as the, as the older guys in fact sometimes more it may be with cars closer on the track then it favors and if they're more robust it could be that the the more higher risk-taking drivers may be advantaged by the new formula or damon the way lewis drove at the weekend and let the race come to him could favor him difficult to predict ashley difficult to predict difficult i don't i i I don't expect that bit of it to change much i just think we should have less races where we get a procession of cars that can't get close to each other that's hopefully what it's eradicating yeah i think what's crucial about this is that each team does go in with a blend of youth and experience because each offers something different and i think it's a mistake to assume that you can kind of wade into new regulations without someone that has clocked up loads of Grand Prix to adapt. I mean, the only thing that I think is ironic about all of this, and we touched on it before in this pod, is that it's it's to increase entertainment. And yet we've had the best season I can remember in 2021. You know, we almost don't need these regulations, but they're coming. So let's embrace them. So, Ashley, I hope that answers your question. Um, We got any more questions there? Hello, Damon. My name is Mike and I live in Ohio in the Midwest of the US. My questions for you today pertain to the drivers and their interactions with the press. We typically see clips of driver interviews gone well. How often are drivers these days walking away from a correspondent because of the question they're being asked? Have you witnessed this recently? And finally, do you have a personal story to tell us of a time you were being drilled and told them to pound salt? Mike in Ohio, that's, uh, oh my God, I've had some experiences, I can tell you. There's been one or two, haven't there, Tom? Was that the one about, the one about Juan Pablo Montoya and the cheeky Aussie interviewer? Uh, Can we remember that one? I can. Uh, JPM didn't enjoy that one. I want for one, just uh, one, one hypothetical one is... Juan, the wonder kid, the rising number one of Formula One, Juan, one wonders should one only win one formula one one year would one want to have won that one in round one one but one of them would be in round one i'm not trying to not trying at all to spin a yarn one but just uh wish you the best if we can all just stay calm one just on your car uh we wouldn't wish any harm on you or all the car but um you know is that the way you approach your formula one racing No comment. Leave it there. It's just a bit annoying, knowing, isn't it? That was just too much of a piss take, wasn't it? It was, you know, I can understand why Juan Pablo walked off really. He's got to be funny. He was a local radio DJ, that guy, and um, he was just having a laugh. Was it funny? 
do you know what? In that kind of environment, it was okay. quite funny because they're, they're quite formal, those press conferences, aren't yeah. they? So when you go and get that, but, but JPM, I think, had just got off a long haul flight and wasn't up for it, really, <laughs> was it? As a racing driver, you kind of want to be taken seriously, you know, um, but at the same time, you kind of, I guess, also recognise when some people are having a laugh and, and want to make a joke. I got Dennis Pennis. Do you remember there was a guy oh, called Dennis yes. Pennis? Yeah, he came up to me once and made some comments about it. And I just thought, I, fortunately, I knew who he was. So I, I, I kind of, you know, was forewarned. And I thought the only thing, the way to deal with this is just laugh along with him and not get too shirty because he was, you know, going to say something which would rile me. Mike in Ohio, YouTube that. Dennis Pennis, Damon Hill. I'm sure it's there. A slightly different take on the theme. I was in Hungary and I'd just given birth to Wilf. Well, it was like my maybe second or third race back after giving birth. And a driver who will remain nameless came into the pen and he walked into the pen and he came out of sequence and I was in a bit of a fluster, probably still had baby brain. You know, have you have a bit of fuzz? <laughs> it hasn't shifted six years later. <laughs> And he came over to me and I was trying to find my notes on him. And he said, you're not ready for me. I said, oh, no, 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 I am. I'm terribly sorry. And he turned on his heel and he walked away. And I was so annoyed. <laughs> anyway, when he did eventually come back, I said, and I had tears rolling down my face. I was so emotional and hormonal. I said, listen, I've got a newborn son at home. I would much rather be there with him than standing here talking to you. But I have to. And this is my job. And I'd appreciate some respect <laughs> and he said i'm so sorry and he gave me a hug right pinks oh, we need we need to know nice. who that was you're not going to spill the beans are you i can't say i can't say although you know he was a legend at the end of it but in that moment he made me cry <laughs> my dad was famously uh, could be quite curt uh, with uh, interviewers and there was one where a guy came up to him on the grid and said, uh, Graham, you know, I think he had the whole film crew with him and stuff. Graham, is there anything that um, that really annoys you uh, about being interviewed on the grid? He said, when idiots like you come up and ask me stupid questions like that. And um, he got he got what he wanted, didn't he, really? You know, and uh, there were, there's a time and a place for those sort of questions. Probably not just before the start of a race. Thank you so much for your questions. Keep them coming in because you know the champ just loves them. Ask damonhill at gmail.com. Send us a voice note and we will play it out on the pod. Okay, any other business? I wanted to actually, Damon, get your take on the Schumacher documentary, which I know you proudly contributed to. And Tom, there was a lovely moment in the paddock yesterday where Mick Schumacher had gone out of the race. I don't even know if you noticed that I noticed this. You noticed that I noticed this, Damon. But he walked past you and he was pretty downbeat because you know uh, he didn't see the checkered flag but he saw you and his face lit up and he gave you a big beaming smile and I thought oh it was just a lovely little moment and I thought he must have been immensely proud that you spoke so beautifully on that documentary that was a, such a lovely tribute to his father thanks for describing it that way Natalie um I mean I don't know if any of the listeners or they should if they haven't uh, listened to Tom's interview with Mick Mick comes across on that interview as the most articulate and sensitive, intelligent, lovely young man. And I'm sure that um, his mum and his dad are extremely proud of the way he's turned out because it, he's been through a tough time. And, and I can relate to that. You know, um, lost my dad when I was 15 and uh, he's had to endure this uh, awful experience. And the documentary film 
touches on all of that and it touches on the human side of a guy who was very easily identified, at least from these shores anyway, as the villain because, uh, you know, of his dastardly doings on the track. And uh, But of course, he was a, you know, there's no question he was a fearsome competitor, but he was also a lovely man at home and a, a family man. And that's what the film shows. And I think it's, a, it's really a, I saw it as a kind of love letter from Karina to Michael and um, we wish them all the best. Damon, did you ever see that soft side to him after you retired? Did he sort of open up to you? I'll tell you what happened. There was, when, I, when I retired, I was, um, someone had the bright idea. It may have been you, Tom. I don't know. About someone it. from F1 Racing Magazine decided, wouldn't it be funny if I interviewed, or he interviewed me, or I interviewed um, Michael. So he came to the porter cabins in Japan and everything, and he was really friendly and really kind of nice. And it was like the, the gloves were off, and it was all just a normal kind of meeting between some other guy I'd known only in the context of combat and uh, you know he seemed quite charming it's sad it's sad isn't it it would have been nice to have met up uh, with your old combatants people who you raced against and and got to know them a bit better but uh, not to be unfortunately with with Michael so as we said I love the way you put it though a love letter from Karina that sums it up so well on the topic of Schumacher one thing we haven't mentioned on the pod because it's happened while we were in Russia uh, Nick Mick and Nikita Mazepin have been confirmed for next year so both of them getting a second season at Haas Nikita's invited Mick to to Moscow hasn't he um he was trying to patch things up because <laughs> there was rumors of them not getting on too well I'm not sure that Mick wanted to take an invitation to to Moscow I think it's pretty impossible not to get on with Mick Schumacher though isn't it sure based yeah, on everything yeah, that but, we've just um, said but I mean, it's tough. Look, I understand it's tough with two rookies, but I, I, I think it's always great when rookies are offered a second year. It just seems a bit ruthless and harsh to just give them one year and let them build on it. They've both spoken of uh, the trajectory of their learning, just how steep that learning curve has been, even in the slowest car on the grid. You know, they have had to take on so much and uh, it's just the beginning of their journey. So it, it's good they're got the chance to bed in sounds like the Haas is going to be quite a competitive car they're getting quite a lot of help from Ferrari aren't they for next year well Simone Resta is their technical director and he's good he's got he's got a great record with Ferrari so yeah let's hope and all of their budget all of their development budget from this year has been plowed into next year and um, hopefully the intensity of the, of the driver's rivalry will be won't be less but Hopefully they'll have other cars to race next year, which will give them something else to talk about in the debriefs other than he said, she said, Mick did this, Nikita did that, which seems to be the case this year. So let's see them progress. But look, on the topic of any other business, we saw in Russia as well that Miami has confirmed its date for next year. The first confirmation of a Grand Prix date for next year, 8th of May, 2022. Welcome to Miami. Bienvenido a Miami. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, Vamos. Natasha. That is cool, though. I cannot wait for that one. Yeah. Sign yeah. me up, baby. Gosh, there's so much to talk about in that Russian Grand Prix. I mean, it, my, I, I can't, don't think I could take much more of this. <laughs> How many more to go? <laughs> I think whilst you've got hugely competitive cars and hugely competitive drivers up and down the grid. You're going to get drama. 
throw in a bit of rain as well, bring it on. So that's it, F1 Nation. Yeah, that's our Russia podcast. Over and out. What do you say in Russian? Natalie's got all the Russian. Come on. Nostrovia. Or Yatibia Lubu. What does that mean? That means I love you, no? I love you. I love you, Tom Clarkson. I love you, Damon Hill. I love you, Formula One. F1 Nation is a podcast from Formula One in association with Audio Boom. Goodbye.